The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. I'm delighted that we're joined on the Culture Club today by Barry Devlin. Barry, once with horse slips and 50 years of horse slips. You have a box set coming out in July of 35 tracks, more than you can chew. 50 years. 50 years. It's scary, isn't it? Of course, I was very, very young at the time. Uh, I actually started gigging while I was still in a Petri dish. <laughs> For those who are not familiar with horse lips, describe horse lips. Uh, somebody, somebody recently described it as uh, us as being the equivalent of the rock equivalent of the rural electrification of Ireland, <laughs> which is, which is, uh, which is, which is not not very far away from it. We were, we were a band who. We were we were uh, sort of inspired by Sean Arreda and what he what he we'd all got the album you know in nineteen sixty one or sixty two, and we kind of loved what he'd done with Mishera and Searsha the the soundtracks for those two he'd taken tunes that were quite small tunes you know ten, they were essentially tin whistle or, or or fiddle tunes and Irish music doesn't have harmonies built in you know it 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 the, it's it's solo instrument solo instrumentation you know modal music and he managed to make uh, uh, orchestral versions of them work and we kind of went we could do something like that at the same time we wanted to be in a rock band we didn't want to wear a, you know a blue denim a blue serge suit and so and we certainly didn't as our crimes against fashion testify but we did want to make we we did want to incorporate Irish tunes into a, a, a form of rock music, and we kind of managed that. I mean, and it was Marmite. I mean, people, some people uh, really hated it, but kids kind of got off on it. And uh, and we and the other thing, the rural electrification thing, is we played almost entirely in the country. We played twice a year in the National Stadium in Dublin, which is a two and a half thousand seater. We'd put three and a half thousand into the, a story in Bundoran four times a summer, you know, and which is why when we came back 182 years later to do the O2, I think, um, it you know it sold out because it, it it all the people who'd been to see us in Bundoran and in you know in Belfast and all over the well in all over the place kind of went well before I die I might as well go and see them one last time. Uh, and we then proceeded to ruin that notion by wandering around for years and years and years in our second coming, uh, you know, up till the present day. We've got so much to get to because we get to all the choices, but I'm thinking, I mean, I'm looking forward to all your choices given that you've worked in television as well. You were a scriptwriter for the likes of Bally Kiss Angel and the Darling Buds of May. Uh, you've worked in video. You made some of U2's best early videos. Uh, you were a brother-in-law of the late Seamus Heaney, which I only realised uh, in recent days. A brother of the writer Polly Devlin. So you better have good choices and everything for us. That was what I was about to say. This is really, <laughs> really... I've just realised what terrible choices I made, given given the, the circumstances in which I find myself. Can you hear that my phone is going off? No, not? we're OK. It's yeah, fine. It's on I, I, silent. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, yeah. My my choices my choices might turn out to be uh, completely naff, but you know the the thing about uh, about choosing things is that just as soon as you've chosen them and committed them to you know cement, 
uh, you go, um, no, that isn't what I meant at all. I, that isn't. But uh, so let, let, let's get started and I can deny everything. To... <laughs> you can't deny the first single you ever bought, can you? I can't. I, I actually remember what it was. That shows you. It was actually an EP back in the days when you had things called. Do you know what an EP yeah, is? Yeah, you had about four tracks. Rather than a single ex- with an A side and a B side. That's exactly right. It was an extended right. single, but it wasn't as big as an album. That's exactly I'm right. old enough too, Barry, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, just, <laughs> yeah, just after the steam engine was invented. <laughs> the EP became the, the fashion, and it was it was. Um, I think the EP was called "P.S. I Love You." It was it was a Beatles, it was a Beatles uh, EP, yeah. and it had "P.S. I Love You," and I'd listen to you want to know a secret. It was, it, and I bought it in Liberties in London in April or May, nineteen sixty four. And the reason I was in London was because my sister Polly, whom you've mentioned, uh, and who was editor of Vogue, features editor of Vogue at the time, had decided that the only way she could save me from my my decision to become a missionary was to bring me to London and show me what I could have if I didn't go off and become a missionary. A missionary? You yeah. better explain. There's an awful lot of people listening who would not know what a missionary is. Oh yeah, you know I I I I think everybody's heard the story. Uh, uh, possibly you haven't been listening enough, <laughs> but at the risk of boring the rest of the audience, uh, I I for four years I was in a seminary, uh, a missionary seminary called the Maynooth Mission to China, and uh, yeah, and and. Um, I was a I was a very good clerical student, and then one day I kind of went. Well, not one day. Over the four years, I began to have increasingly a suspicion that maybe I was in the wrong shop, as they say in, in County Tyrone. And so I left and joined a rock band, as you do. It seemed illogical. But hold on, you could have ended up in China. I, you know, the, the interesting thing about the Maynooth mission to China was it wasn't in Maynooth, and it didn't go to China. <laughs> <laughs> it was in Dalgan Park outside Navan. Okay. And it went to the Philippines, South America, Korea. It had been in China, but they got thrown out in 1949 along with pretty much every other aspect of, of Western culture when Mao and the boys walked in. And in fact, a couple of the priests there, my spiritual director, Father O'Sullivan, um, he had no toenails because the guys had pulled his toenails out and gone, oh, where's your God to help you now? Right, but that's an introduction to the Beatles yeah, track. You can edit that yes, out. I love you. <laughs> you can edit that out, can't you? All of that. Treasure these few words till we're together. Keep all my love forever. P.S. I love you. And not everyone is. I mean, it's 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 part of the early. Uh, it's it's Paul in his besame mucho mode. I mean, Paul had a 
had a, a liking, a penchant for for songs from covers from the musicals. I mean, he did a execrable version of the Hawaiian love song. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard the tape they did for Decca, no. but I can see why Dick Rowe went, no, we're not signing this bunch. Uh, they're, it's pretty tough. And, and a lot of it is Paul singing, you know, things. Well, P.S. I Love You is written by him, but a lot of... A lot of it's in uh, that style. A, a lot of stuff. Yeah, there's a big big track. Um uh, from uh, the now, now I've blanked on where he had a big track from, but it, it, musicals tended to be yeah, a okay. thing that he that he that he nicked songs from. All right, we asked for a favorite band or artist, and I mean, I imagine you have so many you could offer, but you did give us as many guests in the Culture Club have done. Joni Mitchell. Now, why Joni Mitchell? I, I guess why not? Uh, I mean, she. I mean, because if you want, if you want someone who is extraordinarily uh, imaginative with how, what she did with the song form and who lyrically never, ever, ever put a semicolon wrong. I mean, she was, you know, as a lyricist, she's absolute, she's extraordinary and she's absolutely rigorous. There, in, in going through her lyrics, I've never failed to be astonished at kind of the felicity of her phrasing and the breadth of the things she tackles. And she grew and grew and grew to the to the point where her last few albums, you know, I'm kind of going, okay, I can only, I don't even particularly love these, but I stare and wonder, you know, because she she began, you know, she began to play with more and more accomplished players, and move towards a, a kind of region of jazz where, where in a way, a bit like what Steely Dan did in their later albums, except that I have more and more sympathy for Joni's later albums than I do for some of Steely Dan's latest ones. But she's just, she's an example of what you can, you know, there, there are a lot of other writers who have, have extraordinary aspirations, but very few take a, 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 like a, an, an overtly literary bent to it. I mean, she's a brilliant writer. Well, let's hear from her classic album, Blue. Let's hear a little bit of the track, River. Just the lyrics, Barry, though, it's the voice. 
it, you know, all the things I just said, the big thing that I sort of immediately pointed out, that voice, you know, there's just nobody, nobody sings like her. It's extraordinary. Okay, let's move on. But you also have a love for little feet and sailing shoes. Yeah, um, I, I, we loved little. I loved little feet. You know, I also, you know, I put into, I put into that list. If I was allowed, revolver. Uh, one By of Beatles. the one of the very great, great, great albums. They pretty much invented all the genres in there, and that's also beautifully. I mean, they both Lennon and McCartney were fabulous lyricists when they when they really paid attention. Uh, they were so they had such ability that occasionally they didn't. Particularly McCartney, you know. If ever there was a case of Homer nodding, you know, Mary had a little lamb and possibly give Irish back to the Irish. Those are pretty big nods. <laughs> but tell us why you picked Little Feet. And we have the album Sailing Shoes to play a little bit uh, from that. But oh, lovely. Picked... Because not every rock band, you know, they're a terrific rock band. And Lyle George was a, a fine lyricist. You know, I, I, I talked about um, Joni being li- a literary lyricist. Lowell was a, a little more free and easy with the grammar, uh, you know. He, he he selected, but but all the more imaginative in many ways for that. And the thing that I felt about Little Feet was that they swung. Not many rock bands swing, and they so they they had a they had a kind of they were beautiful players, uh, but they they had a little bit of room. They weren't strict in their time. They they swung and that and very few rock bands swing. So that was that was my that was what I loved about them. So let's hear from the album Sailing Shoes for Little Feet. This is Willen. I've been warped by the rain, driven by the snow, I'm drunk and dirty. Don't you know, and I'm still willing. And I was out on the road late at night. I seen my pretty Alice in every headlight. Alice, Dallas, Alice. And I've been from Tucson to Tucum, Kerry, to Hatchapi to Donabar. So I wouldn't get weighed And if you give me Weed White sand Wine And you show me a Feet. Now, best gig you're at, and I'm sure you've been at loads of gigs as well as playing in so many for Horse Lips, Barry Devlin. I'm fascinated to see you've nominated as one of them Squeeze in Chicago in 1978 because I saw Squeeze in Chicago in Grant Park in 1992. So what were they like back in 1978, which was just when they'd made their breakthrough? Yes, and they still had Jules playing with them and Gilson, the, the drummer who plays on you know, the, the, the current Jules kind of apotheosis. They were great. I mean... I, I, we were acting on the same bill. Oh, were you? Oh, yeah. It was, it was, it was an interesting bill. It, top of the top of the bill was the Tubes, who I actually wanted to run away with. I mean, they were just such a wonderful band, and then us, I think, and um, and Squeeze, 
so we kind of got to know them. Um, and that uh, was in the time of up to junction and cool for cats. Yeah, they had they had they had. I think they they even had. Um, they hadn't done the the stuff that Paul Carrick did with them. Uh, labelled with love, attempted, which is another wonderful song. Oh, I mean that—that's a very. I mean, they—they they had phases, you know, as a group, and that—that um, that period when Carrick was with them has, has yielded a bunch of extraordinary songs. But this was a cheeky chappy phase, you know. This yeah. is when it was uh, pulling muscles from a shell, uh, up the junction, cool for cats, and wonderful, wonderful lyrics there as well. I mean, very kind of. Very knowing, you know, geezers, and and that was that was their persona, you know, and they they played up to that. Tell us about the headliners in that gig, though the Tubes. Yeah, the Tubes. Do you? I mean, are you familiar with? No, but will we play a little bit of the Tubes in action? This isn't from that particular gig, but this is them live in San Francisco in 1983. Oh, and wow. then tell them about tell us about them then. Okay. Are you ready? I said, are you ready to rock and roll? It's a Saturday night crowd, even though it's Friday night, and they're ready for the greatest rock and roll show in all Japan town. Here they are, floating fresh this morning, and kicking as directed, all tanked up and bopping like heroes, but completely uncensored, unexplicated, and unusual. I am going to rock and roll. Let's get the warm hand on our opening. Let's go, Okay, I should tell you, listeners, Barry Devlin's sitting here with a smile beaming a mile wide listening to that. Well, tell he, us about the tubes. Well, the thing about that is this, the, this, that's just the sound that's on. And the whole point about the tubes was they were a hugely visual band. There were about 746 of them. Their lead singer was, their lead performer was a guy called Fee, Fee Waybill. Not, not his real name, I think. Uh, and they, they had, they were, they were kind of like the circus. They were like a, a mini uh, Cirque du Soleil. They did extraordinarily acrobatic things. They had a, a bunch of girls who did extraordinarily acrobatic things. They had, and they, they I mean, the thing we've just played, uh, Fee Waybill spent a lot of time just putting the audience on. They, they would play versions of, of they were pastichists and they'd play versions of of music that people thought they knew and sort of, you know, mess with their heads. They they had a song, uh, they, did a, they did a version of, um, they had a song called uh, I Was a Punk Before You Were when uh, Johnny Bugger as, as Fee Weevil became for that, for for that sort of persona, yeah. yeah, with a with a with a chainsaw 
you know, chopped up members of the cast. Uh, You know, it was just it was just hilarious, but highly musical uh, show. I just loved it. It was the only time where I've been to gig where I wanted to go off with the other band, you know. We didn't put into this category for questions a favourite video, so I'm not asking you to nominate a favourite video now, but tell us about working with you too, particularly videos and early music. You were something of a mentor, weren't you, to you too in the early days, which many people would say the best days of you too. Yeah, although the bit I was with wasn't the best days. It was, it was a night in Keystone Studios on Harker Street with Ken Kiernan. And I, 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 Paul McGuinness had brought over Adam to... We were playing in, in Wembley Arena, I think, with Tin Lizzy. And Paul brought Adam over and said, this is, this is the new band I've, I'm, I'm managing. And would you go into studio with them? And I went, well, Paul, I'm not a producer. And Paul said, I know that. Uh, but they just wanted to show them where to put their instruments and like be, you know. So I did. I went in and, and showed them where to put their instruments. And I had told Paul before I went in, um, you know, Paul, you've got a job in film, you, you know, you're reasonably well set up. Are you sure about this? I think peak, peak punk is over. And, uh, I, you know, anyway, I came out and went, Paul, mortgage, famously, I said, Paul, I'd mortgage the house if I was you because they're striped like zebras, you know. I mean, even in, in the 12 hours or eight hours that I was with them, including a point at which Larry's dad came and took him home because he had exams, uh, even in that time, I could see that they didn't know everything or anything like everything, but they wanted to know everything. But what was the famous video you made with them? Still haven't found what I'm looking for is uh, is the one that I like best. Uh, I made a I made a bunch with them, um, but a, a lot of it, uh, I, you know, with Mir Davis, I, I wrote uh, All I Want Is You, which is the one that the homage to Fellini set on the beach in Rome. And I did, you know, versions of Bad and, and I did... Um, Unforgettable Fire and a bunch of stuff from that period. Uh, so, but the one that that people kind of know uh, is I still haven't found what I'm looking for, which we shot in Las Vegas, uh, on Fremont Street, um, and it, it was the actual the, the shooting was relatively easy because we only had one camera and no lights. Uh, we had to be we had to be pretty, um, you know, we, sort of constructive about it. So our our steady cam was a wheelchair, uh, and the sound system was wheeled around in a, in a shopping trolley, uh, and it's still a great video. They it were is indeed. I need to take a break. Barry Devlin, stay with us. More Culture Club with Barry Devlin after this. The last word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Welcome back. Barry Devlin is with us for the Culture Club. We've taken so long in music. We're going to have to race through much of the other stuff that we have. Let's go to movies because you've nominated one of my favourite movies as well, The Death of Stalin, which we've no clips for because my producers tried to find something that was broadcastable at this time of day and couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, what can you say? It's, it's, a, it's, it's fantastic. It's by a great, great writer, Armando Iannucci, you know, pretty much everything he's ever done has been, uh, you, there are two writers that make me want to stop. My day job is as a writer, it says here. And I, the two that make me want to give up writing are Alan Bennett, uh, and Armando Iannucci, both of whom are just on a different different plane, because they they're 
they're both prolific. They both do versions of things that I do, but just do them much better. I mean, you know, Yanucci is a magician, but with materials that that he shows you. He shows you how he does his cooking, and you still go, I still couldn't do that, you know. But Death of Stalin is is it's beautifully directed it's wonderfully written as you know it's based on a comic book so that that original graphic novel uh, is is very bright and very smart but and also he gets all the actors to play the parts in their own voices so you have all these american and english accents of the russian politburo it works perfectly i mean steve buscemi as khrushchev is <laughs> I, you know, and and Beria. Uh, it, it, I mean, part of the thing is because it's funny, because it's screamingly funny. It's also horrifying. Yeah. You realize the cruelty. You know, where where Beria says, uh, "Shoot him first, but make sure she sees it." About a man and his wife. You know, and there's one sequence where they're walking out of the building at the Lubyanka, and a body comes rolling down the stairs, and they don't even look around at it. You know, it's so in a way, it has a huge. Uh, without being um, too serious about this, it has a huge relevance to what's going on today. Another movie you've picked is A Private Function. What's that? That's Alan Bennett. Uh, it's 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 a wonderful movie set in 1948, I think, when there's a banquet for the Queen's wedding. It's a film about hunger. Everybody in the town is starved because rationing is still on. And the the town council decides they'll have a banquet for themselves and they have to raise an illicit pig that they're going to slaughter, and uh, so and and this town chiropodist steals the pig for his wife. It's I recommend that anyone who gets a chance to see it go and see it. Okay, because we're out of time and are short in time. I'm not going to play the opening sequence, right? But there's a pig theme running through your selections yes. because your favorite player musical is Frank Pig says hello. Yes. Pat well, it's Pat McCabe. McCabe. I mean, you know, you have to be, McCabe has to be a favourite, uh, but not least because he used to be a terrible man who would almost have to be ejected from horselips gigs in the Clonus region. Himself and Paddy Goodwin, yeah, were two rascals. Uh, and I could see immediately that they'd be literary geniuses just because they were so inventive in their rascality. Um, I, I, you know, it's a, it, it's a play version of uh, of uh, The Butcher Boy in a Which way. Which is a great it's, book. And, oh, extraordinary book. And, and his, of course, his new one, by the well. way, is something else as well. He's he's getting the reviews he deserves, which is great. Um, he's going every... to be joining us doing this Culture Club as well in a few weeks' time, is Pat. Tell him Frank Baz says hello. Uh, he he. Uh, I I just think it's a. I think uh, Frank Frank Pig was just fun. Uh, it's John Roddy and uh, oh, this is terrible. I f- the 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 guy the both both the main actors play McCabe's part uh, and John Ruddy is a great trumpet player as well so the trumpet features trumpet was written in because Ruddy was going to play it Okay we'll move on to favourite book you must have thousands that you could nominate you have said you're currently loving Fintan O'Toole's We Don't Know Ourselves Very much Um, you know uh, Fintan Fintan and I have had a, a troubled past in that he once gave me a very, very bad review for a film I directed. Uh, but I've forgiven him, you know, and, and he was probably right. Uh, I, I just think, I think it's a wonderful book. Uh, it's Fintan is a very good writer. Um, he's a polymath. Uh, and it it's a 
great personal history. It also parallels mine. He was he was born shamefully ten years after me. Uh, but all the stuff that he writes about, I kind of lived through. Uh, and uh, you know, doing a doing a personal history of Ireland in that sense of how did this affect me um, is. Is uh, it's a very good way to do it. What what, he, what I love about it is that almost it's very re- hugely readable. Almost every sentence has a has a coda, a little addendum that teaches you something you didn't know. You know, he'll go on on that day. You know, Khrushchev had really bad problems with his wind and launched World <laughs> War Three or whatever. You know, you'd, it's it's it it matches the macro and the micro beautifully. But you say you're a writer and your sister Polly a writer and you were a brother-in-law of the late Seamus Heaney, probably Ireland's greatest ever poet. So what else did you love reading? Have you loved reading? A, 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 a so many books I've forgotten just before uh, I tend I tend to not particularly like modern fiction. Um I although I love The Butcher Boy, I I I like history and biography. Uh, and so I, I'm, I, I'm currently, I've just finished the, uh, the biography or a biographical memoir uh, of a, a man, a man called Captain Parker who, from Clonmel, who fought in the War of the Spanish Succession. So it details all Marlborough's battles, you know, up to Blenheim and, and right through that period. It's a remarkable, remarkable piece of I was there history uh, written by an Irishman fighting for the English. Okay, television. You've nominated a favourite programme of recent years as Breaking Bad. Yeah. I just, Which is a hell of a distance from uh, The Darling Buds of May and Valley Cassangel, the type of stuff that you used to write. Yeah, for my sins. Uh, you know, I, 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 yeah. I mean, I, 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 I didn't say I loved writing Valley Cassangel. I just said I wrote I it. hope they paid well, did they? Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But myself and 982 other writers, I mean, finding a rare Irish writer, who, a television writer who hasn't written a Valley Cassangel, uh, The Darling Buds of May was was quite interesting in you know because because of Catherine Zeta Jones basically but I mean it it was but I did I did a bunch of mini series of you know I did one called Run Runway One and another Soul Survivors which is one I did for ITV which is a mini series in which I was able to work with the very great Isaac Hayes who was a musical hero of mine you know so but tell us about what you love so much about Breaking Bad which again is oh I'm sorry yeah so that was the people. question yeah. yeah I just loved I love Brian Cranston's transformation from, you know, a comedic dad into one of the great scary heroes or anti-heroes of anything. I I thought it was it was epic, it was massive, it was unput downable once you know, Caroline and I used to go go under the blankets for a whole weekend and, you know, on Monday morning awake pale faced and covered in potato crisps and head out into the world. <laughs> Let's hear a little bit from in season five when Brian Cranston is Walter and Anna Gunn playing Skylar. This is in season five. Call the DEA once I leave. Tell them I was here, that I forced my way in. Tell them, tell them I wanted bacon and eggs on my birthday and that I gave you that ticket. Those numbers are GPS coordinates. What? A burial site. That's where they'll find Hank and Steve Gomez. (laughs) It's where I buried our money. And the men who stole it from us, the men who 
still have it. They murdered Hank and Steve and put them in that hole. Now you trade that for a deal with the prosecutor. You get yourself out of this, Skyler. Brilliant performance by Anna Gunn as well. Oh, you know, when he says, I am, well, he doesn't, I am not in danger. I am the danger. And you really believe it. It's an extraordinary tour de force. I like it even more than The Sopranos, you know, I mean, and that's a... And Better Call Saul? Better Call Saul, I, I, I watched and enjoyed, but... Uh, you you can't you can't beat uh, the the uh, better call Saul had a problem with choice. He knew how it was going to end. He was still going to be alive at the end of it. Uh, <laughs> but it's, whereas, the other, it's the others you're wondering about. That's that's actually something I'm saving up the final series of uh, Better Call Saul at present. Listen, we're going to have to finish. Whereas we could have talked for way more. We just didn't have enough time. Barry Devlin, it's been great having you. That horse slips box set is coming out in July, I think. That's it? right. Yeah, yeah. And we, I'm not even going to tell you how much it costs. <laughs> and we mention it then. Thank you very much for being with us. And that's it for today's programme. Big thank you to my entire production team. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow at half four. Until then, for me, Matt Cooper, have a very good evening. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.